This is Perspectives on Justice. We look at the most current and controversial issues in the U.S. justice system. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr., and I invite you to join me in exploring how the scales of justice are balanced, criminally, socially, and ethically. You are listening to Perspectives on Justice. Hello, October 13, today is the last day to register by mail to vote. Martin Luther King said, our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Participating in elections is one of the key freedoms of American life. Voting is your civic duty. This is a pretty common sentiment especially in November as Election Day approaches. However, what does it really mean? What does it mean for Americans in particular? Today, we will discuss why this freedom is so important and the ways in which voter rights have been suppressed historically and now. On today's episode of Perspective on Justice, We'll talk about the importance of voting and the Voting Rights Act. My first guest is Tierra Bradford, Policy Manager for Common Cause Maryland. Ms. Bradford, thank you for joining me today. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, Ms. Bradford, uh, let's start off. Can you tell us a little about Common Cause and perhaps uh, something about your background? Yes, so Common Cause um, is a national nonprofit uh, grassroots organization, Um, and I'm with Common Cause Maryland. We're just the Maryland chapter of that organization. Um, And we're grassroots, and we focus on a myriad of issues, including voting rights, election security, um, campaign finance, redistricting, the census, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Usually during the General Assembly, you can find us in Annapolis um, lobbying and speaking with other advocates and legislators to try to pass the reforms we think would be best. Um, And also, outside of the General Assembly session, we work to educate the public, we hold events, um, and this year we'll be working on election protection with the Election Protection Coalition um, and ensuring that everyone is able to cast a ballot in this uh, election coming up. I I think I've seen you in Annapolis uh, a few times. (laughs) Uh, How long have you been with Common Cause? Um, I've been with the national organization since 2018, and I became policy manager for Maryland in um, August of 2019. All right, great. Uh, Now, uh, share with us how Common Cause has been working to promote the importance of voting. Yes, so basically since the General Assembly session ended, which it ended early in March because of everything happening with COVID-19, we've been very honed in on everything happening with elections and all the different election updates and changes that have been going on. Um, Maryland was in a special situation because we had a special election um, 
because of, we had to fill a representative uh, coming seat because he passed away. Um, and so we've essentially had to focus on three elections this year because we had the special election, the primary, and now the general that's coming up. Um, and we've been working closely with the State Board of Elections to make sure they know uh, what the voters need in order to feel safe um, this election and to not have their votes suppressed. Um, and we've also been doing public outreach. I know a few weeks ago we did um, a webinar on what are the election updates, what's the state of voting in Maryland, and we plan to do another one before the election happens um, in November. So we've been pretty busy keeping up on everything and trying to make sure that uh, the public knows what's going on. Uh, clearly, uh, you're passionate about this. Uh, let me ask you this question. Why is uh, voting so important, and what has made you uh, choose to do this line of work? Yes, voting is important because voting is power, essentially. Uh, we are all, we all have to be under the government, whether it's the local government, the state government, the federal government, um, and it gives you a sense of power back when you know that you are the one who is, uh, who's voicing and letting people know who you want representing you on the local level, on the state level, on the federal level, and you're holding those people accountable. Um, voting is power, and essentially the people who you elect, you know, they have to implement the types of policies that you want or else you can vote them out and <laughs> take your vote back. Um, and what the reason why voting is so important to me and why I do the work that I do is because um, I was always raised that civic engagement is important in my household. Um, and being a black woman, of course, I know what voting means to my community. I know our past with voting, we haven't always had the right to vote. And even when we did have the right to vote, we didn't really because different barriers and obstacles were put in our way, whether it was a poll tax or whatever, you, um, whatever else they brought forward. So um, I just... For me personally, I just feel like I, I have to vote because so many people that came before me ensured that I had the right to vote, and it makes me feel like I have a say in what's going on. Ms. Bradford, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I, I am from everywhere. I'm a military brat. Ah. <laughs> My father was in the Army, um, so I can't really claim anywhere. I did spend a lot of time in Kentucky, but I don't really claim there. Um, yes, I'm from all over. I understand. Okay, <laughs> But great. my family's from the South. All my right. dad's from Georgia, my mom's from Louisiana. Okay. All right. Great. Now, we've heard people say once in a while, well, I only come out uh, for presidential elections. That's the only one that's important to me. And their primaries, their elections in between, state and local elections. Uh, why do we need to vote in every election? <laughs> Um, it is so important to vote in every election. It's really interesting that people only focus on uh, the presidential seat because really other uh, seats on the state and local level impact you, I would argue, even more than the presidential seat. Um, things that are happening right now today in your community, that those changes happen because of the local officials in your community. Um, the way things are budgeted in your state, that happens because of state officials. Uh, even down to the boards of education, you elect people who are on your board of education. Um, how criminal justice happens in your community, we elect our district attorneys in many places. Uh, if you want to see a change in that area, uh, you should vote. You should uh, see all the different seats that you can vote for. Wonderful. Yeah, it's very important. Uh, 
We've heard this concept of voting down ticket. What, what's that uh, mean? What's that refer to? Uh, so voting down ticket is, uh, is essentially just voting, um, voting down ticket is making sure that you vote for all the different seats on your, uh, on your ballot. Um, so it's important to not skip any of the different <laughs> positions on your ballot. Um, and that's another uh, benefit of voting by mail is you actually get to take the time and look at the different seats, what they do, and who, who the candidates are that you're voting for. Sure. So many people just go in, vote for the presidency, and forget about all the questions, the other candidates that mean so important to the things to their lives. Right. That's a, another important thing. Some, a lot of the campaigns that we work on, they require a ballot question uh, that the community votes on. So you're uh, directly voting for certain policies that impact your community. And so, yeah, it'd be better for you not to skip <laughs> the rest of your ballot and just focus on the presidential seat. All right. Now, Ms. Bradford, uh, we've been hearing more and more about the electoral college versus the popular vote. Without making it too complicated, can you just kind of explain to the listeners, what is that? Yes. So the electoral college is essentially made up of 538, I believe, electoral voters. Um, and the votes from those voters determine uh, which pre presidential candidate wins. And what determines uh, who the electoral voters are voting for is uh, the people in the different states. So for example, I'm going to use some random numbers, but let's say Vermont, which is a pretty small state, has five electoral voters. If the majority of people in Vermont decide to vote for candidate A, then those five electoral voters are, have to vote for candidate A. Uh, but in Texas, for example, if there's, let's say, 30 electoral voters, uh, and the majority of people vote for candidate B in Texas, then 30 of those electoral voters are voting for candidate B. And so essentially, even though uh, the majority of people are voting, uh, one candidate won in Vermont and one candidate won in Texas, uh, it differs how many electoral votes those candidates actually get. Um, I hope that makes sense. Well, it, it is. It's uh, quite uh, complex from time yeah. to time. People are wondering uh, what it is. Uh, do you think there's going to be any uh, change of that in the years to come? So actually something that our national office works on is pushing for nas uh, national popular vote. And so if we can get um, as many states that make up 73% of the electoral college to sign on to go with the national popular vote, then that could change the way that our presidential candidates are actually elected in the U.S. Um, so there are people who are pushing for that type of reform, um, but in the upcoming election, we have to stick to the Electoral College. Um, I really do think the Electoral College can be a misrepresentation sometimes. Um, as many people know, in 2016, the winner um, didn't win by the popular vote, they won by Electoral College. And so uh, that's kind of an example of how Electoral College can kind of not be a fair representation of um, the voters in the U.S. Okay, Ms. Bradford, tell us about uh, registering to vote. Uh, you just can't just walk up and uh, vote. You have to register, don't you? 
Absolutely. Tell us and about that. In Maryland, you could actually register to vote online. Um, as long as you have a Maryland state ID, you can go ahead and fill out the form online, or you can print out the form, um, download it and print it off if you have a printer, and you can fill it out with your Social Security number um, and send it into your local Board of Elections, um, and then you are registered to vote. And, of course, the deadline in Maryland is October 13th. All right. That sounds like that's today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I've heard a number of people, Ms. Bradford, uh, say to me, a judge, uh, my vote doesn't count. It really doesn't matter. Uh, uh, does voting for the president uh, really matter? Uh, voting does really matter. Um, and I know uh, many people who maybe aren't as interested in voting. I mean, some people just aren't engaged, but other people, you know, they want to organize. They want to, like, be part of a revolution and do things outside of the system. And my argument is that why not both? Why don't we organize? Why don't we revolutionize on the outside of the system? But also we make sure we're holding the people who are in offices right now, that we're holding them accountable, that we are deciding today who is going to be representing us for the immediate future, because we don't know how long the revolution is going to take. So uh, that is my argument to some people who may not feel like voting in this election. Great, great. What would you say to those people who... Uh tell folk, I don't feel like my vote is going to change anything. Is, it, is there any truth to that? Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that? Um, I, so this, I'm about to get kind of uh, <laughs> uh, on an emotional level. Um, I just feel like voting is related to power and it's making your voice be heard. And so yeah, voting, it, it does give you a voice, and it does, um, and it's important that you're always making sure that your voice is heard. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to kind of understand where people are coming from when they feel like their vote doesn't matter because you're uh, literally, the majority vote is what makes someone have a position or not. Um, but, yeah, your, your vote always matters. It always does. Uh, do you think people are beginning to uh, understand that? Are you hearing more and more encouraging things that people do feel that there's a need to vote? Um, I'm kind of hearing both still. Um, I'm hearing a lot of people who still want to operate on this outside and a lot of people who feel like um, they're what their wants and what they want for policy and their desires are not being represented by the candidates who we have right now. Let's say for example, with the presidential election, some people feel like their what they want is not represented by either candidate. Um, and what I'll say to that is, yes, you're voting now and maybe you may essentially be voting for um, someone who you don't agree with everything on, but this isn't the one and only time you're going to vote. You have opportunities to vote in the future as well. And so I think if you, it's a give and take and you have to look at uh, every situation when you're voting. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, now, in, in a two-party system, what should voters do if they do not agree with the politics of either party? <laughs> Um, in a two-party system, um, so 
again, I just want to say again that we're a nonpartisan organization, and so we uh, don't encourage uh, voters to vote any essential way. Um, I will say to just look at the issues that you care about um, and see what candidates, uh, what candidates campaign campaigns and what they believe in matches up most with what you believe in, and to just move forward in that way. Uh, uh, are you concerned about uh, complacency by a number of people who uh, decide they have everything that they need and uh, they don't really uh, find it that important to vote? Have you run into any of that? And to people who are complacent? complacent. Uh, yeah, they may feel that uh, they have everything, they're comfortable in their homes and their lives, and voting is not something that's important to them. Have you run into folks like that? Um, I, I mean, I guess I'm trying to um, remember a time when I was, in a sense, complacent, because I haven't always been such an advocate for voting, so sometimes I can understand people who, you know, they don't want to be engaged, and sometimes it's not just complacency, it could be anxiety around everything that's going on. You know, there's a lot of things going on right now. A lot of people, you know, from a mental health perspective, it's better for them not to be engaged because it's too much for them. Um, so to those people, I still try to encourage them to vote anyway. Uh, again, just try to think about things that matter to you and see which candidate best aligns uh, with your issues. Um, yeah, that's the best thing I can sure, say for that. Sure, 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 understood. Uh, one of the things that uh, is important, at least from my standpoint, is the need to see more young people engage and, and voting. We have a number of people who are, uh, uh, students rather, who are in college and uh, they don't take the time to, uh, to register or vote. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on the importance of young people voting? Um, I think that, again, I think younger people don't realize how powerful voting can be. Um, and then also, I think it kind of has to do with our culture and our education system. Sometimes I don't think we are taught from very early on um, that you, you know, you elect your local offices and the different impacts your local offices can have on your everyday life. Um, understand the difference between the federal government and the state government. So sometimes I think it's that. I also think um, sometimes as advocates and as a school and parents or what have you, uh, we need to put students in a position for them to succeed. I know when I was a student on campus, um, it was made very easy for me to vote. Um, People came to our campus to register for us, and they were like, hey, this will only take a couple minutes. And as a student who's going in between classes, knowing that something only was going to take two minutes, that was helpful for me. I was like, okay, you know, why not? Sure, I'll fill this out really quickly. And then on election day, we actually had shuttles that came to our campus and were transporting students. And that was very important to me because I didn't have transportation. I didn't have a car. So it was going to be difficult for me to even get to the polling place. So I think it's also on those who do have to try to help those who may not have as much access. Um, yeah, I think once things are made um, easier and more convenient for people, um, then that better helps people be more engaged and want to be part. You mentioned, Ms. Bradley, uh, the need for people to get more informed and uh, educated as to uh, voting and knowing the candidates and this kind of thing. 
I remember in uh, high school we had a course called Civics. And I don't know whether they teach that anymore or that's still a course, but what's your thoughts as to whether such a course in civics, uh, which would be designed to educate our young people and get them informed about the need to register and to vote. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I think that should absolutely still be a course. I'm trying to think back when I was in high school, I believe we had a civic-related course, but it was optional, and I think it was an AP course. So, you know, most of the students who were graduating, um, they weren't really being taught about the government um, and how it operates um, and what voting means. And so I think that's really important. I think it should be offered in, in college campuses, community college and four-year universities. Um, yeah, <laughs> we should definitely treat it um, better than we do right now. Sure, sure. Just a couple more questions. Uh, common calls, uh, are there any other uh, uh, civic-related uh, 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 activities that you all engage in that the listeners should know? Um, so we did just do a voter registration drive um, last week, uh, well, a few weeks ago, um, <laughs> with one of our partner organizations. Um, oh, and I would be, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't talk more about election protection. So, election protection is a national organization or a national coalition that's made up of you know hundreds of organizations that work to make sure that people um, are able to vote on election day. So there is actually a number people can call one eight six six R vote if you have any questions about how to vote in your state or if you come up against some type of obstacle on election day, or if you have a question while you're trying to fill out your mail-in ballot, you can call that hotline. Um, and we also work with volunteers who um, will be driving by, not getting out of their cars, but driving by the vote centers in this election and just monitoring and making sure that everything looks right. And if anything looks alarming, if there are long lines, if it seems like people are being intimidated, then they call people at the command center and we work with elected official, uh, the election officials to make sure um, that everything runs more smoothly. Uh, one uh, last question, Ms. Bradford. Um, uh, one goal of Perspectives on Justice is to help create change in the area of justice. In pursuit of that goal, I always ask each of my guests to share with us one small step for justice that can make a difference. It may include reading a book or, or donating or getting organized or engaged, uh, etc. And so, Ms. Radford, what uh, small step for justice would you recommend? So a small step for justice I would recommend is coming up with a voter plan for this election and making sure that your friends and your family and your church and people at your school, that they also come up with a voter plan, whether it's voting in person or if you're voting by mail and mailing your ballot back in or dropping off your ballot at one of the drop boxes that are going to be made available. Make sure you know what you're doing this election season. Well, this has been uh, so helpful and enlightening, Bradford. Uh, thank you much for joining with us. And I tell the listeners right now, the day is the uh, 13th uh, in uh, Maryland uh, in particular. Get out and register right now. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. As you prepare for Election Day on November the 3rd, 
you must register to vote, and that's today. In the states of Maryland and Virginia and the District of Columbia, today, October 13th, is the last day to register online. Please go to elections.maryland.gov to check the status of your voter registration. But remember, in Maryland, you can also register to vote or update your voter registration information in person during early voting or on election day. To find voting deadlines and information for your state, go to vote.gov and search for your state. Welcome back to Perspectives on Justice. Over the past few months, we've seen thousands and thousands of protesters marching all over the world for social justice right here in the United States. Young voters are the key to this election and future elections as we try to make progress in the areas of social and criminal justice. Joining me now is Michael Marino, Deputy Director for the Civic Engagement Committee with the University of Maryland Student Government Association. Thank you, Ms. Marino, for being here today. Thank you so much, Dr. Williams. Let me jump right in it. Uh, how does the Civic Engagement Committee of the University of Maryland's Student Government Association communicate to the student body as to the importance of voting? There's quite a few answers to that question. <laughs> For starters, we have um, weekly committee meetings, and that is uh, super useful to see a lot of students, uh, both on the civic engagement side and in the more governmental affairs side, come together and discuss the issues. Um, but more importantly, we're in the middle of a big student organization competition with uh, Greek life organizations on our campus. We do it every election cycle, and um, essentially we have people uh, with unique links, and they go out and they register student voters. And the incentive for that is uh, those organizations that register the most voters will receive um, financial compensation towards their philanthropy that they do. So. We try to get as many voters involved, and um, it's usually super successful. I can tell you right now that we have a, a lot of social fraternities and sororities involved, and we're getting some professional Greek orgs and um, some multicultural Greek orgs as well. That's great. Uh, are there any other actions that uh, your committee takes to encourage uh, students to register and vote? Absolutely. So on the other hand, we have um, an initiative where student groups, so outside of the SGA, can apply. And if they have a good idea on how to get students registered to vote, and especially now how to get students um, to voting to vote safely, um, and those with the idea can apply, and we give them about, I believe, a $500 stipend to um, further that initiative, uh, whether it be you know, a safe voting drive or a voter education summit. There's tons of ideas that um, other student orgs have submitted. Now, Mr. Marino, I have noticed a lot of passion uh, by uh, students around uh, the country, uh, particularly in light of all these recent events, uh, such as the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. Do students seem, uh, from your perspective, to be more engaged, more passionate, and more eager to vote this year because of that? Absolutely. I'll, I'll tell you, um, students are angry. They're, they're very angry. Uh, we feel right now that we're in a position where we're poised to make the most impact. Uh, you said yourself that young voters are going to be key to this election, and I, I think that's very true. Um, you know, Clearly, we have people who do not want to acknowledge the systemic racism that is present in this country and um, the great injustices that are being committed against people of color. 
Um, I think that's a, a call to action. I think for a lot of students, it certainly has been for me. It certainly has been for my peers and, and other people that I work with. Um, I know it'll translate into energy at the ballot box. I, we've seen that already with people registering to vote that have never registered before, you know, and asking me how to vote and how to sign up. Um, I think it's, it's going to happen. I think the youth are very important for this. That's great. Uh, do you partner with other organizations to get out the vote? Absolutely. Um, right now we are partnering with um, the NAACP chapter on our campus and an organization called Maryperg. And both of those are very, very huge organizations that have a large reach. Um, and particularly they're working on this safe voting drive. So uh, right down the street in our, in our neighborhoods, you know, these are areas that have been impacted immensely by COVID-19. And, and those populations more often than not are people of color. Um, so we want to make sure that those uh, populations can go to the polls if they choose to vote in person um, and have the proper resources that they need, whether that be masks, gloves, sanitizers, anything to stay safe. And if they choose to uh, vote absentee or by mail-in, that they know how to do so and that they receive those resources in an adequate time. Why is this uh, work uh, so important, uh, uh, Michael? <sighs> it's very, <laughs> it's, you know, it's... There's a lot going on right now. Um, we're dealing with uh, concurrent crises, uh, COVID-19, um, a racial uh, awakening, I believe. It's, it's important because I, I don't think that uh, we as a people in this country can you know, sustain ourselves for much longer in this, in this pattern of, of uh, angry rhetoric and, and going back and forth at each other. So it's really important right now, and I'm, I'm hoping that, I'm praying honestly, that a lot of students and people my age uh, don't sit this one out. We can't sit this one out. Do you, uh, or can you leave us with any recommendation as to what students should do to, again, move the, the needle toward justice? Talk with your friends. These are not conversations that you should just be having on your own. Um, these are conversations that you need to have in groups. Um, I know a few of my friends, uh, we all watched a debate last night and we saw the issues that were kind of put forth and, and, you know, we have a group discussion about it. And, and by doing so, people are able to kind of flesh out their own ideas and, and, and argue with each other in a way that's, that's productive and, and uh, helpful. So, All right. This was Michael Moreno, Deputy Director for the Civic Engagement Committee with the University of Maryland Student Government Association. Thank you, Michael. Thank you so much. Voting rights in the United States have been an ever-changing journey especially for African-Americans and women of all ethnicities who fought long and hard to have their voices heard. If not vigilant, these rights can be eroded. The Voting Rights Act of 1965, signed into law by President Lyndon B. Johnson, is aimed to overcome legal barriers at the state and local levels that for years have prevented African-Americans from exercising their right to vote as guaranteed under the 15th Amendment to the United States Constitution. The Voting Rights Act is considered one of the most far-reaching pieces of legislation ever in the United States. Joining me to talk about the Voting Rights Act today is Dr. Alvin Thornton. Dr. Thornton was a faculty member in the political science department at Howard University for some 37 years. He was formerly senior academic advisor to the president of Howard University, interim provost, 
and chief academic officer, associate provost for academic affairs, and of course he was the chair of the political science department. Among his many roles and responsibilities, he served as chair of the Board of Education now. He serves now as the chair of the Board of Education for Prince George's County Public Schools. I will say before I welcome officially Dr. Thornton that uh, I have taught a number of students uh, across the years in, at Howard Law School and uh, in some of the courses involving civil rights legislation, they always will say, well, Dr. Thornton told me and taught me, and I would laugh. Uh, but uh, essentially, he's a well-respected uh, uh, scholar. So uh, Dr. Thornton, thank you so much for joining with me today. Thank you, Judge Williams, for having me. All right. Uh, it's All an right. honor, sir. It's an honor. Great, great. Let's get started. Uh, uh, on November 3rd, Election Day, uh, what's at stake? Well, I, I think the very uh, future of our democracy, um, the, uh, the nation always confronts and has ha had to confront it th throughout its history, great constitutional questions. And we have one before us um, on November 3rd, the very outlines of our constitutional system. Uh, and, and as never before, I think, I'm 72 years old and I've never seen um, the, the questions be more stark. And so the question, the very design of our nation, I think, is on the ballot. Uh, it's very important that people vote, uh, notwithstanding their positions on the Senate and presidential elections. The most important thing is for people to vote. Uh, uh, Dr. Thornton, uh, we have seen uh, so many uh, uh, marches and protests and events in our country since the uh, George Floyd's uh, death. Uh, what do you make of that? Well, unfortunately, as I said, I'm 72 years old. I was born in Alabama in the, in the belly of, uh, of, of apartheid in America, separate development, et cetera, segregation. Uh, and I have never, it's unfortunate that the questions that I had to live through are now being raised again. That is the nature of one's rights and citizenship that one has as a birthright. I lived through that in, I was born in 1948 when black people fundamentally, there was no Voting Rights Act. Black people's rights had been essentially eliminated in Alabama with the passage of the 1901 Alabama Constitution. And the poll tax and, um, and voter intimidation, black people did not have the right to serve on juries. They couldn't even be a member of the Democratic Party at that time. Um, they had restrictive covenants. They couldn't live where they wanted to live. Now, we went through great struggles uh, to overcome that, including the passage of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. Unfortunately, uh, we are now having those same questions be presented to us all over again. It's a very painful moment for our nation, uh, but it's one that we're going to have to get through so that we can get back on the dem democracy journey that we have been on as a people. Now, you just mentioned uh, Dr. Thornton, the uh, Voting Rights Act, uh, uh, a very famous act in 1965, and uh, we know that uh, a number of uh, marchers, uh, John, uh, Congressman John Lewis, who just uh, recently passed, and uh, we know what took place in, what's that, Dallas County, uh, mm. Alabama. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us what the Voting Rights Act is. Well, I always personalize it. You know, when those uh, four little black girls were bombed, they were, in, they were in Sunday school. They were getting ready to worship their God in Sunday school. 
And the Klansmen who planted that bomb and killed those little black girls led to the passage of the Voting Rights Act, because those people who planted that bomb and killed those babies, they were the same age as me at the time. Uh, they were trying to prevent black people from voting, from serving on juries, from having their fundamental citizenship rights. For those babies, as they were worshiping their God with their parents on Sunday, walking down the stairs, their little lives were blown away with dynamite. Uh, thankfully, two years later, that was 1963, the Voting Rights Act is passed. Uh, and their parents were empowered as a result of that. So their parents could vote for who was going to be sheriff, who was going to be the prosecutor who would prosecute subsequently those people who bombed those babies. Interestingly enough, Doug Jones, Doug Jones, who's a senator now, was the prosecuting attorney who prosecuted those guys who bombed those babies. So, you know, that's we have to make it, as Martin King did and Rosa Parks did, uh, and Fannie Lou Hamer did, we have, it's, a, it's, a, it's revolutionary love for humanity and our babies and the right for people to live that we have to feel. The thing that dangers me and dangers me now is that people are losing that sense of revolutionary love for each other, and that leads to alienation and not voting and disengagement. We must return to that. Uh, Dr. Thornton, uh, you are from uh, Alabama, obviously, and we have uh, seen so much uh, in the news uh, across the years in Birmingham and Montgomery and in uh, Dallas County and so forth. Why, why is this so, so much uh, happening uh, historically, or why did it happen historically in Alabama? Well, you have to keep in mind that uh, in, Al in places like Alabama and Louisiana, that's the old Confederacy. And that's where the great wealth of our nation was built, where you had extracted uh, uncompensated labor of our ancestors to build the great wealth of our nations. So the great cities of our nation, be it New York, Chicago, Philadelphia, and others, much of that wealth is extracted based upon the enslavement of our people, not paid, dying early, no, no inheritance transferred to their children. That wealth is concentrated in the hands so you can build factories and you can build the wealth that people now inherit and transfer to their children. Um, we, were, we were denied the access to that wealth. It was much more doable in a place like Alabama because, and Georgia, and Louisiana, and Texas, the old Confederacy, because there was slavery, and the state could do whatever they wanted to do to black people. We could not, as I said, serve on juries. You know, we, we had to pay property taxes just to vote. We were sharecroppers right after slavery, which means that what? We were bound to the land of those who own the land and we could not move without their permission. You could easily extract the wealth from people. Now the residue of that is still with us. That's why people talk about reparation because the residue of that artificial uh, extraction of wealth from our people is still around us. When you look at the gap in wealth in black people, the gap in education, the gap in healthcare, it's a function of what I'm describing to you. Now there's another important case that uh is important in this area, vital in this area, and of course, uh, you being a professor of political science, you would know about it. The case is uh, Shelby County versus uh, Holder, and of course, uh, our listeners should certainly uh, re recall that Shelby County is uh, there in uh, Tennessee, I believe. Was that, the one, was that the one in Alabama? Alabama. All right, thank you. Correct me. <laughs> Teach <Alabama>. me. <laughs> All right. Alabama, right. It's, a, a it's, an, it's, an, it's a very interesting case because it takes place in a place uh, called Anniston, which is uh, near where I grew up as a child, see? And Shelby County is in Alabama, Shelby County, Alabama. 
Holder was the attorney general at the time. That's why Shelby, and it gutted the Voting Rights Act of 1965. See, before you could modify uh, the voting situations where black people had a right to participate. That is, they would close the polling places. Black people would have to drive great distances. They would have voter intimidation of the type that you are now seeing being recommended now by the president of our country. Uh, the Voting Rights Act precluded all that. You had the right for federal offices to go into places like Alabama and Tennessee and Georgia and protect black people as they sought to vote at the polls. Uh, you would have pre-clearance, we call it, which means that if they wanted to change voting locations uh, and the number of, 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 of polling places, they would have to go to the, uh, the district, the circuit court here in the district to get District of Columbia, federal court to get approval. All that was wiped out in Shelby versus Holder. It gutted the Voting Rights Act. And that's why people are rightfully saying we want to have the Congress restore the Voting Rights Act uh, to what it was in 1965, because black people's votes are being repressed. Have there been any uh, significant uh, uh, changes or, uh, or activities since Shelby that's important to the listeners? Yeah, there's been great resistance. The House of Representatives has passed the, the Voting Rights Restoration Act. It has gone nowhere. One of the things before the great John Lewis passed, a son of Alabama, by the way, uh, the, one of the things that he was fighting for was a restoration of the Voting Rights Act. Because people, see, there's, when it comes to health care, when it comes to education, when it comes to economic development, People don't move unless they have equal voting rights. That's why the Voting Rights Act was so critical. When Lyndon Johnson spoke on the steps of the building that you and I studied in, Douglas Hall, that's where he gave, gave his great speech just before he signed the Voting Rights Act. He said, look, you know, black people have been the work mule and, mule, and white people have been the, uh, the, the, the horse. And they, his, the, the horse has been fed and it's been well kept and the mule has been worked and now we're at the same starting line and people are saying run the race you're now equal johnson knew that we were not equal that we needed the voting rights act we needed the 68 open housing act and now people are trying to move those things back and we have to fight we have to resist it and of course uh, the resistance uh, continues uh, to take on and uh, and let me just uh, deviate for a second dr thornton uh, seems to be so many uh, acts uh, and tactics to suppress uh, voting uh, that we're being uh, seen uh, around the country right now can you speak just a, a moment about the suppression of, of voter rights well, see, the, the, yes. The, the most important one, obviously, is the, the requirement to have these voter IDs, you know, that uh, and many older black people don't have them. Many people who are retired, they don't drive anymore. They don't have them, right? The cost of going to get them is cost. They got to pay for transportation. They have to get the kids to take them. So that represses disproportionately. And the, we have seen in places like North Carolina where it was proven that those who created these voter ID laws and in Texas, the federal courts indicated that it was targeted on to, to target black people and black people's voting right down to the precinct level. Knowing that if, if you have voter ID requirements, it disproportionately affects low income people, black and white, by the way, but disproportionately black people. Uh, knowing that when black people vote, see, democracy advances. They know that. When black people vote, democracy advances for everybody in America. You see, when, when the 1965 Voting Rights Act is passed, it didn't just help black people. You know, it disproportionately helped who? White women, as Ruth Bader Ginsburg said. 
<laughs> you see, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg came out of uh, Harvard Law School in, in 1963, she knew that her rights as a woman were being denied effectively, largely because black people's rights were being denied. So she took up Thurgood Marshall's mantle with the Voting Rights Act, and the rights of white women were expanded. Everybody's rights improves when black people have voting rights. We also have heard, Dr. Thurton, other tactics such as uh, purging the rolls, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. closing polling places, and restricting felons from uh, voting and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Can yeah. you speak for a minute well, you know, about those the Florida, things? One of the things that was done to black people in this country was, even after slavery, was obviously was the re-imprisonment the re of black people, putting them in prison, and then permanently denying them the right to vote as a result of their having felonies on their records. So if you go to places like Florida and Alabama and Georgia and whatever, where disproportionately millions of black men especially are incarcerated, recently released, but still cannot vote. So when you saw Bloomberg in Florida paying the fines of former felons so they could vote, because even if they, after they were let out of jail and had served their time to the state, they still could not vote because they still had, what, fines. Well, Bloomberg paid those things. So denying the right of felons or people who caught up in the criminal justice system to vote is something that has been used for the past 100 years very effectively in a place like Alabama. That's wonderful. Uh, Dr. Thornton, uh, we've had a number of forebearers, ancestors uh, uh, who are no more, but they just struggled so mightily to uh, place us where we are today. One, of course, was uh, Congressman uh, John Lewis, uh, Fannie Mae, uh, Hamer, and others. Can you speak about those uh, forebearers and the importance of the struggles that they did and how it affects us today? Well, I always, I always say to, uh, to us, vote and answer the prayers of the ancestors. I ask people, do, 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 do you love your great-grandmother? And if you love your great-grandmother, you can't love her if you don't vote, see? Because my, my grandmother, Maggie Thornton, born in 1891, could not vote in Alabama. Alabama took all of her rights in 1901 when it rewrote its constitution. Maggie, my grandmother, I love her, right? I lived with her. She could not vote. And, and so when you have people who come along like Fannie Lou Hamer, Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party, great warrior, right, coming off of a white man's plantation in Mississippi, and this is in the mid-60s, when the Voting Rights Act is passed, Fannie Lou Hamer is living on a white man's plantation in Mississippi with no rights. And you have people like John Conyers, who's a man whose name should never be forgotten. He's the member of Congress. He's in the Congress in 1965. John Lewis was not. John Conyers was, and he was a fighter for the passage of the Voting Rights Act, the longest serving black member of Congress. John Lewis, obviously born as a what? You know, there in, in, um, in Alabama himself. Rosenwald schools, went, went to segregated school, could not go to Troy University right there in his county. And Judge Williams, they just named the largest building on that campus after John Lewis. Shows the progress and the struggle that, that we're making. Obviously, Martin Luther King, as I would say that one of the reasons why they blew a hole in his head was because he was trying to get voting rights and equality for black people. So the ancestors have suffered. Uh, they've given us the opportunity to vote, and we love them, we care about them, starting with our grandmothers and great-grandmothers. We will vote. 
Well, let me uh, ask you uh, something about uh, Prince George's County, uh, Maryland. Uh, I have read and you've read that this is one of the uh, uh, most prestigious uh, jurisdictions of uh, African Americans in the world. And I have noticed, and I want you to comment on this, that a number of them are very uh, complacent. They uh, uh, feel comfortable. They're well-educated. They have money, and, and a lot of them don't... Uh, some of them, I don't say a lot, but some of them just feel that uh, voting and, and registration and so forth is, is uh, okay, but uh, it doesn't seem to be a passion with a number of them. So, <laughs> Dr. Thornton, uh, what's your views? What's your views you on know, that? You know, so Judge Williams, as you well know, long before you became a judge, we were in the wars together when we did not have judges and county executives and senators and all that. And we were a lot more intentional about voting and organizing to express ourselves politically. We do get complacent once we get in position and we get houses and we get titles and all that. We get complacent. But one of the things that COVID-19 has revealed to us is the incompleteness that we are. As you see people standing in line to be fed, <laughs> and you see people losing their jobs, and you see people getting behind on their mortgages, two paychecks away from uh, poverty, and you see our children, 63% of them are in economic need. Eh? 63%, right? So there is a vulnerable economic state. Uh, our, uh, our political tenure is, is, a, is a recent thing. People have to realize. We call this thing black political empowerment in Prince George's County. That's very recent. It's a 1980, after 1988 thing, as you well know, 1988. So it's very young. It has to be matured. And if people don't vote, see, we don't, we don't vote in large numbers in Prince George's, especially in local elections. We don't vote, you know, 17 to 24%. And we don't even vote. We, we vote in presidential elections competitively. But other than that, we vote in low numbers. What, what is your message to people who just feel that uh, the most important and the only election they should concentrate on is the presidency? Well, the presidency does not determine your property tax. It doesn't determine, it doesn't determine the school that your child goes to, right? It doesn't determine the small business opportunity that your person is going to have to have access to. It doesn't, it doesn't determine the road, your, your local and your state road. It doesn't determine any of that, right? It doesn't even determine where you can be buried after you die. So uh, the presidential election is very important, but equally important are the municipal, state, and local elections because those are life and death issues. Those are issues about uh, uh, where, where your child goes to school, the quality of the school, the teachers that your child is going to be uh, is, 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 is be taught by. So I would say don't make a distinction. Vote presidentially as well as locally and municipally. Uh, you and I have talked uh, across the years, Dr. Thornton, about uh, the efforts to first register people, and then so many of them don't come out to vote. And uh, we need to make sure that people not only uh, register, but that they actually uh, cast their vote. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I'm a person who believes that, as I look back at Martin and John and all those people, you see them, they were kneeling and praying and they were in church. I mean, voting was a moral and a spiritual, it was a movement, right? It wasn't just a political act. Anytime you reduce voting, see, voting for black people is something they had to pray about and kneel about and ask God about. 
And that's at a certain point, we turned it into a strictly political office-holding thing. And people, see, black people have been, have, have been overcoming oppression. That's a moral, that's a spiritual thing. And so we have to return to that. This is a, something that we do together as a moral issue, as a family issue, as a spiritual issue, because that's where it came from. And when Martin and John were crossing that Selma Bridge there, <laughs> they did what? Before they crossed it, they kneeled and prayed, right? And when, the, when Martin said, we're going to go across that bridge into Montgomery to register, they said, for, first thing we're going to do is we're going to go to church and we're going to have church service. Then we're going to come out and we're going to move. We've lost that. See, we have turned ourselves into an electoral phenomenon and emptied it of its moral factor. Uh, Dr. Thorne, uh, I mentioned to my other guests that when I was a, uh, a student in uh, elementary school and uh, high school, I remember we had courses in civics. And uh, of course, uh, you are now president of the Prince George's County Board of Education, and I'm just wondering whether you have any thoughts about teaching uh, 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 <laughs> election laws or the, the need to vote or the importance of voting to Students. Yeah, well, you know, we just had a big controversy. Those who follow public education in Prince George County will know that. We just had a big controversy about requiring all students to take a course in what we call financial literacy. I made the argument at the time as chairman of the board that while I supported that, right, that uh, civic literacy was more important because if you don't know civics and government, if you don't know taxation, and if you don't know who represents it and all that, then you never get to the financial part. <laughs> so yes, I'm, oh, yes, I'm a big supporter of a required uh, civic literacy, we call it, or what I call historical consciousness and awareness. Because see, keep in mind, Judge Williams, people vote as an extension of culture. See, you, you deculturalize a people and empty them out of their identity, and their culture does not uh, require them as a part of their culture, one of the things I do is I vote. You see, certain people do things because their culture mandates it. They eat certain kinds of food, right? They wear certain kinds of clothing, right? They relate to other, each other in certain ways. For us, a cultural component must be what? One of the things we do is we vote. Why? Because it was so denied to us. We were three-fifths of a human. We were not counted as a full human until 1870 in the, this country. So it has to be a part of our culture. That's what we do. Just like people say, we, we do a lot of things. Well, one of the things we do because we are black is that we vote. Yeah, I don't uh, want the uh, listeners to uh, think that the only uh, injustice occurred in uh, Alabama, where our, uh, <laughs> our guest is. There were other things happening in other states in uh, yeah. Mississippi and yeah, even yeah. in the uh, the other Shelby County, yeah. which is in Memphis, as no, you remember. I tell, yeah, so. I tell people, Judge Williams, that when they start, <laughs> when I use my Alabama example, I said, my governor, uh, George Wallace, he came to Prince George's County to win his presidential election. And he was shot right here in Prince George's County in Laurel, my racist governor, because my this county was supporting him. So no, it's not just Alabama. Uh, all of our <laughs> listeners should certainly understand that Absolutely. Uh, there. But uh, Dr. Thornton, I want to begin to uh, wrap up now. And uh, one of the goals of Perspective on Justice is to help create change in the area of justice. 
And in pursuit of that goal, I try to ask each guest to share with us one small step or a couple small steps for justice that we can take uh, to make a difference. Steps may include uh, a book to read, uh, an organization to donate to, a conversation to start with your family and loved ones, or some petition that you can sign or what have you. So I'd ask you as we wrap up whether there are any uh, small steps or big steps that you would uh, recommend uh, to address this critical issue of, uh, of voting and registration. Right. And Judge Williams, I always say to people, you cannot change anyone until you change yourself. And like on the airplane, they always say, put your mask on first before you try to put a mask on someone else. So I say, I'm Michael Jackson when it comes to this. I say, look in the mirror first. The first thing, you must do justice to yourself, which means you must change yourself as a person, commit yourself to be a person of self-identity and, and a purpose-driven life. And then immediately around you, your family, or your wife, or however arrangement you may have, and you then do justice by them, which means organizing your life in such a way that you do justice by your family and your children and your extended family. And then that justice, purpose-driven life expands out to your neighbors, to your community, et cetera, and voting will be a part of that. If we do not do that, whatever we do will be short-lived and unsustainable. Well, uh, folks, uh, you have heard it from the distinguished uh, uh, political scientist uh, and community organizer and leader, Dr. Alvin Thornton. A and friend of Judge Williams, that's Yeah. <laughs> and the day, of course, is uh, the 13th of October. You have to register right now. Uh, do it uh, in our area. I want to thank Dr. Thornton for his uh, brilliant uh, comments today. And now I have a uh, clear uh, basis to understand why the students tell me in law school, well, Dr. Thornton said, uh, we understand it now. <laughs> Thank you, John Thank Lee. you, sir. Thank you, Andrew. All right. Sir. Appreciate it. All right. Our guests today have addressed how important it is to not just register to vote, but to cast votes. None of us can simply remain complacent and complain without becoming engaged study the issues, learn the position of the candidates, and hold them accountable. With strong participation, democracy is advanced, and we all can express our voice. The efforts around the country to impose barriers and limit the right of persons to vote is inconsistent with democracy. Everyone must vote. Please register today the 13th of October, and then vote. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Perspectives on Justice. If you'd like to keep up to date with new episodes, be sure to go to wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. I'm your host, Judge Alexander Williams, Jr. Until next time.